South Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington, working on this program very much. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Monday, August 8, 2022. Several people were arrested over the weekend during a protest at Konyakonya Market in the South Sudan's capital, Juba. They were dressing suit. Somebody which is going for a demonstration, can he dress suit? No. And some signatories of the 2018 peace agreement complain about South Sudan's political parties act. The parliament is not reconstituted now. It's lacking the participation of a significant uh, party to the agreement. That is the SPLM AIO. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Authorities with the Juba City Council arrested five people for staging peaceful protests over soaring commodity prices at Konyakonyo Market over the weekend. The deputy mayor of Juba Town warns residents of the capital to avoid participating in protests. For VOA News, Wake Simon Wood reports from Juba. They were dressing suit. Somebody which is going for a demonstration, can he dress suit? No. So if they, they came and they come and light the 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 the, 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 the listing tires in, in, in that place. And when they were seen, the policemen come in and our security forces come in. That is why they are arrested and some people wanted to resist and one person was shot. That is Thek Thekemayardi, the Juba's deputy mayor for infrastructure and development, describing Sunday's arrest of a handful of South Sudanese who were demonstrating against the high prices of goods and services at Konyokonyo Market. South Sudan in focus spoke to Thek as he and other senior officials from the Juba City Council toured the market today to reassure the public that there won't be any more protests in the area. Thick says the arrested protesters are in police detention pending investigations and a trial. He confirms one other protester was shot and is currently admitted in a hospital. Yesterday one person was shot and the five people have been arrested. And this is what I wanted to put on. That in South Sudan we don't have a water cannon. Whereby if you go for Mazarat, then the water are... Uh, blown into you. No. We don't also have what we call Gumulashota. Uh, we don't have here in South Sudan. What we have, it is a real bullet. And I want to tell to the people of South Sudan that if you want to lose your life with the greedy people, we just want to, to achieve their thing. Please restrain from them and tell them that we are not for that. The protest comes amid a rapidly deteriorating economy. In recent weeks, the South Sudanese pound continues to lose value against the U.S. dollar. Four days ago, one U.S. dollar was exchanging for 700 South Sudanese pounds on the black market. Today, a dollar exchanges for 550 South Sudanese pounds on the black market. Thick says the government has taken measures to ensure the local currency gains value against the U.S. dollar and called on traders to lower their prices. I want to tell to the business people that on Friday, I'm coming and check all the business people. Somebody who did not return his price according to the drop of the dollar will face the consequences. Boboya Jemis, a policy analyst at the Juba-based Institute of Social Policy and Research, says yesterday's protest was not a surprise. 
He says it highlights the growing frustration among South Sudanese about the government's inadequate efforts to get to the bottom of the problem and address it publicly. People are undergoing misery. People are undergoing hunger. People are undergoing, you know, uh, lack of access to food. Forget about lack, lack, lack of access to even finances. And, uh, you know, in Juba, most people are dealing with bread. You know, they eat bread as a, as, as a best uh, meal of the day. So there's a lot of frustration going on, but of course government has not come out and explain itself on what's going on. Jamie says President Salva Kiir needs to explain to the public the government's strategy for addressing the country's huge economic challenges. The president needs to come out and tell us about what is the program of this country looking like moving forward, right? What are the issues of the, that issues that brings economic reforms? What are the issues that brings security reforms? What are the issues that brings uh, social reforms? What are the policies and programs that the government wants to put in place to drive uh, Deputy Mayor Thick calls yesterday's protest a practice in the Western and Arab world that South Sudanese authorities cannot entertain and warns that city council authorities are carefully watching anyone who may try to stage future protests. A freelance journalist working for VOA South Sudan in Focus Radio program is among the people arrested during the protest. For VOA News, I'm working Simon Wudu in Juba. The political party's amendment bill has attracted disputes over how the bill was passed. Opposition groups accused the SPLM in government of unilaterally and illegally passing the political parties act of 2022 by tampering with the content of the law. For VOA News, Sheila Pony reports from Juba. Oyet Nathalie, the first deputy speaker of the Transitional National Legislature, says the dispute resolved around the tendency of the SPLAM IG to obstruct the reforms process in the revitalized peace agreement. The parliament is not reconstituted now. It's lacking the participation of a significant uh, party to the agreement. That is the SPLM AIO. And therefore, whatever they do, they are bridging the trust and confidence. They are bridging the spirit and the text of the agreement, which reconstituted the parliament itself in the bills, like what they did in the Political Parties Act, tempering minority groups. Polino Lokudu, who leads the United South Sudan Party, says the debate around this bill involved several irregularities. I will admit that the speaker was not fair in giving chance to the parties to the agreement. She gave so many chance to the IG and very little chance to other parties which are opposition parties in the parliament. And uh, that does not make up a good democracy. So the IG dominated the, the debate of that day. Polino Lokudu, a member of parliament at the Council of States, says one of the contagious issues has to do with registering voters. The political parties speculate that for a political party to be registered, it must have at least 500 registered members from each of the 10 states. Other politicians propose that the number be lowered to 300. 
Lukudu says the approved number of registered voters in each state remains questionable. The act covers seven provisions which include the establishment of political parties, their registration, and how much funding they receive. Another controversial issue in the Political Parties Act is how minority groups are represented. Issues of minority or marginalized group uh, stipulated in the previous act was also inserted. The, uh, instead of the issue of minority, the issue of the, yeah, the, the minority and the marginalized groups. And, and we know there are other people who really need to be brought up. Like politically, they are not represented in, in any level of the government, whether the national or the state government, even the county governments, they are not there. So those communities have to be given opportunity to catch up with other communities which already have their representatives in the government. Oyed says minority groups were excluded from the bill based on the contention that South Sudan does not have minority groups. We have minority uh, group in the country. We have marginalized also group in the country. So in the permanent constitution making process, we need all voices. Uh, to be there. All voices uh, should be there. Any attempt to obstruct the participation of the people, to restrict the, 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 the free expression of the ideas of the people and the independence of the people's will to draft the constitution we will not accept. Speaking in Juba recently, first Vice President Riak Machar said his party's members in parliament advised him not to accept the Political Parties Act 2022 as written. The IOM MPs objected, and by the way, I have met them four times since they declared a boycott. I would call them, I share their caucus to evaluate whether there is a reason for them to go back to parliament. But they maintain that they will not go back because if they went back with what happening, the TLLA, I should kiss this agreement goodbye. This agreement gives us a way to work, whether in the executive or in parliament. If there are differences, there is also a way of doing it. Speaking in Juba on May 31st, 2022, during the passage of the Political Parties Amendment Bill, the Speaker of the Transitional National Legislative Assembly, German Nunu Nkumba, said debate over the matter should not divide South Sudanese lawmakers. Uh, honorable members, remember that we must maintain our unity and we should not be very emotional on issues. The chairperson has given his justification. We want our country to be multi uh, parties, multi, multi, to have a multi party system, which is in our constitution, democratic pluralism. At the same time, we also need credibility of our institutions. So as we, 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 we deliberate and uh, pass this uh, bill, uh, this bill should not divide us at all. The first deputy speaker says the opposition has asked the president not to assent to bills that were passed without consensus. We still appeal to the president not to assent to such bills, but to return the bill back to the house. We urge the presidency to convene their meeting. The meetings of the two principles is critical in breaking the deadlock in parliament. 
to revitalize peace agreements, speculates that any decision in the Transitional National Legislative Assembly on matters pertaining to the peace agreements be made by concessions and upon failure to that, votes shall be by two-thirds majority of all members. For VOA News, I am Sheila Pony in Juba. Still in Juba, the ceasefire and transitional security arrangements monitoring and verification mechanism. A body which monitors South Sudan's ceasefire says it is struggling to continue with its activities after the U.S. government withdrew funding. The head of CITISAM, Lieutenant General Ashrat Denaro Ahmad, says lack of aviation support will continue to delay their efforts to investigate reported ceasefire violations. For VOA News, Dengai Deng reports from BOR. Addressing the 32nd Citizen VM board meeting in Juba last week, the chair of the ceasefire and transitional security arrangements, monitoring and verification mechanism, Lieutenant General Azrat Denaro Hamid, said the ceasefire monitoring mechanism is experiencing financial constraints after the U.S. government ended its funding last month. I want to take this opportunity to formally inform the members of this board that the government of the United States of America, which has been providing in-kind support, demobilized and withdraw its logistical and personal support to the citizen BM effective force July 2022. The withdrawal of U.S. government happened at the, a very critical stage when the mechanisms wanted it so much. The head of Citizen VM says peace monitors will face challenges accessing locations of reported incidents of violations like the recent fighting in Mayom County. The lack of aviation support has affected Citizen VM operations will result in deploying investigations and reporting. However, I want to assure you that Citizen BM will continue to do all that is possible and within the available means of fulfilling it is mandate. The Director of Information for the Sudan People's Liberation Movement in opposition, Pok Both Blang, appeals to the international community, especially countries that have withdrawn their financial support for the security mechanism to come back and support the implementation of the roadmap, which extends the transitional period for another two years. The international community would like to call them back and urge them that, uh, to uh, reaffirm their commitment and support uh, on how the implementations are being can be uh, implemented on uh, the ground in country for a democratic uh, election that will lead to a democratic country a transform uh, South Sudan. South Sudan government spokesperson and information minister Michael McQuay in new implementing the peace agreement would face challenges after the U.S. government withdrew its funding. McQuay had other partners of South Sudan such as China to take over and fund the South Sudan security mechanisms. My appeal to the other partners and uh, people of goodwill uh, good friends of South Sudan who come in for the support of the old 
the mechanisms and uh, take over whatever was being uh, funded by by the Americans so that uh, we continue with the implementation of the agreement. The South Sudan government said it was shocked by the U.S. government's decision to end support for the monitoring mechanism. Government spokesperson Michael McQuay told this program the decision came at a time when his government is making what he calls significant progress in implementing the agreement. McQuay appealed to the Biden administration to reconsider its decision and resume funding. In his 11th independence anniversary speech, President Salva Kiir said he was concerned about some partners' decision to scale back their support for the mechanism. McQuay called on other donors to step up and support the South Sudanese peace process. The Chinese embassy in Juba has reaffirmed Chinese commitment to fund the revitalized peace agreement, including funding the peace and ceasefire monitoring bodies. In its extraordinary assembly in Nairobi last month, the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, or IGAT, said that the withdrawal of support will have a crippling impact on the critical agreement mechanisms. IGAD is a regional body in East Africa that cooperates in the areas of peace and security, economic and humanitarian affairs, food security and the environment. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding in Bor. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, a South Sudanese economic expert says his country's economic crisis is man-made. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. The International Monetary Fund concluded the second review under the staff monitored program with South Sudan. IMF says since the program started in 2021, the South Sudan government has taken steps to improve microeconomic governance and liberalize the foreign exchange market. But it says in the short term, the impact of historic flooding will continue to hinder economic activity while inflation is likely to rise due to global commodity price shock. Benea Yongoburi is the South Sudanese professor of economics at Catherine University in Flint, Michigan. He tells Nabil Biagio that IMF's staff monitored program for South Sudan will do little to improve the economy unless the South Sudanese government ends war and develop a coherent economic policy that gives priority to ag- agricultural production. The idea is that the economy is not doing well. And so the IMF expert, if you want to borrow from the IMF, from the World Bank, of any of the donors, they want to see that you have a credible economic policy to address your problems. So the IMF has experts. They go and uh, evaluate the performance of your economy and the kind of policies you are putting in place. And then there they will judge whether you qualify for loans or you don't qualify, whether you need assistance. That's what they they usually do, to assess the state of your economy and what kind of policy you are pursuing. And then then they will discuss with you and recommend what, in their opinion, you should do. 
the IMF noted some steps uh, taken by the government of South Sudan to improve macroeconomic governance, stabilizing the exchange rate, although inflation remains high. Uh, and the report says there have been delays in implementing public finance uh, management reforms included in the program and in the peace agreement. Yeah, the, the, you see, the problem with the South Sudan is that, uh, you know, I don't think they really have an economic policy. The IMF like focusing on the on the exchange rate, the dollar rate, and so on. But I don't think that South Sudan really can put its economy in order if they don't to stop the war, which people say there is peace, but they actually, you know, there is no peace. They don't stop the war and then emphasize on the economy. I don't think that they have emphasized even on the economy. They, like, for example, the World Bank, the IMF, and other donors in South Sudan talk about lack of transparency in the oil sector. And they go on repeating this thing over and over. And the South Sudan government doesn't become transparent in the oil sector. Expenditure, out of budget, off budget expenditure, is very high in some of the uh, departments like the president's office and so on. And they go on talking about they should control expenditure, should be on budget and so on. But you don't see any change. And they always bring the same thing over and over. So I don't know where the improvement they say are. Yes, the exchange rate had somehow gone up to 400-something, but now it has shot up to 600 or almost approaching 700. And this method of changing the exchange rate, selling dollars to the banks and other uh, forex, I don't know whether continuing with this policy is going to fix the problem. Because South Sudan needs to produce. They are producing nothing. They're importing everything from outside. And the demand for the dollar is very high because they import, you know, almost everything. Things like food, why don't they produce it? This will reduce the demand for the dollar. So that if you have these exchange rate policies and short-term policies, and you reinforce them by encouraging production. They have always talked about South Sudan depending on oil, uh, 90% in the exports and about uh, revenue, about 100%? Yes. But uh, have they infused this oil into other sectors like agriculture? I mean, if you have been to South Sudan and uh, you know the agricultural potential, and this is because of the war. You did mention a lack of coherence in identifying a policy and pursuing it. Uh, we just learned that uh, President Salvaqir fired his uh, finance minister, Agaka Chwil, along with the um, governor of South Sudan Bank, uh, Moses Makurdeng. Uh, these officials are being rotated and replaced frequently. Do you, is that a part of the problem? <laughs> you see, you can go on replacing even every day or what, nothing will happen. As long as there is no peace in South Sudan and there is no coherent government policy. What is the government policy? What do they want to achieve as a government so that the Minister of Finance, the Central Bank and so on will direct the policies to the attainment of those goals? What do they want to attain? That was Benair Yongobure, professor of economics at Kettering University in Flint, Michigan, speaking with my colleague Nabil Biagio here in Washington.
Among the four candidates vying to become Kenya's next president is George Wachogia, a lawyer and a former spy who once went into exile in Britain, running on a promise to legalize marijuana. Wachogia's campaign has elicited excitement among the youth population and drawn sharp criticism from the religious leaders in the largely Christian nation. Juma Majanga reports from Nairobi. Professor George Lichiri Wajakoya, a man with no known political pedigree, but who has bluffed and blasted his way into the psyche of Kenyan politics. Born 60 years ago in Inagalasia village in rural western Kenya, Wajakoya has been quoted in various forums saying he grew up as a street boy at some point in his life. Later, he managed to attend school and after completing high school, joined the National Spy Agency. On his own account, Wajakoya was later to flee the country to seek exile in Britain. Details on his spy career and circumstances that forced him to seek asylum abroad remains scanty. His eccentric style is seen by some as a total contradiction of the educated, widely traveled and well-spoken man. His Roots Party's manifesto is unprecedented in Kenya's political history. He promises to execute those who found to have committed corruption offenses, reduce the working week to four days, and legalize marijuana, among other oddities. How does he get the media to talk about him? And uh, maybe attract a lot of young people. You know, some of them don't have any votes, but they are attracted anyway. He says he does not smoke marijuana, but his crusade on the illegal substance in Kenya has caught the attention of admirers and critics alike. Because we are jobless, we don't have money, so if he has a, an idea that can help us get money, we are okay, we will do it. Planting of Bangi will uh, cause many youths to use it, of which will have so many people with mental incapacitations. Religious leaders in the largely Christian Kenya have condemned Wajakoya's campaign manifesto, accusing him of, quote, promoting evil and immoral vices. This year's presidential contest in Kenya is touted to be a two-horse race between Deputy President William Ruto and veteran opposition leader Raila Odinga, who now has the backing of President Kenyatta. Political commentators, however, say... Other players like Wajakoya could cause disruptions because to win a presidential poll, a candidate must garner at least 50% plus one of the votes. The likelihood of Wajakoya garnering half a million votes, between half a million and one, and one million, is there. He has run on what is perhaps the most controversial platform in Kenya's political campaign history. And as Kenyans had to cast their votes, George Wajakoya's candidature will remain a subject of discussion for some time. Juma, Mujanga, for VOA News, Nairobi. Relatively new in Kenya's political scene is David Mwaure, an attorney who has been practicing law for the last 35 years. He completed his law degree in 1981 at the University of Nairobi. Born and raised in Kenya's Nakuru County, Mwawure entered into politics in 2002 at the height of the national glomer to push former President Daniel Arab Moy out of power. He later founded Agano Political Party in 2006. Victoria Munga reports from Nairobi. 
it came at a time when um, I put it this way, as an ordained minister, of course, I use part of uh, uh, scripture, when it appeared like going to heaven would have been easier than getting a nomination ticket. It was often given to those who are very well connected or who had a lot of money. As a freshman in Kenya's politics, Mr. Maure first set his eyes on a parliamentary seat at his hometown, but dropped out of the race before elections. He unsuccessfully contested another parliamentary seat in Nairobi County 2007. Bad things happen because good people don't get involved. Bad leaders also come into leadership because people who are like me, a lawyer for more than 35 years, having everything I would want in terms of daily life, thankfully I'm able to put food on the table, but a lot of Kenyans are suffering. Maure later moved to Kenya's coastal county, Lamu, for a business venture. The political bug beat him again and he vied for Lamu's county's governor's seat in 2013. He lost the election, finishing third behind two opponents. Maure, who's also an ordained minister, is making his second stab at the presidency after he previously presented himself for the position in 2010, but soon after bowed out. This time round, Maure is in the race and will square out with the seasoned politicians, Kenya's Deputy President William Ruto, former Prime Minister Raila Odinga, and a newcomer Professor of Law, George Wajakoya. I am coming to give Kenyans a clean start. I am coming to sort of go back to where we were at crossroads and different nations took a different turn. Now they are far away and Kenya did not. His manifesto outlines numerous proposals for eliminating corruption, wastage and mismanagement of public resources. Welcome, Mr. Wahiga, to this debate. Thank you. According to a July poll opinion survey by Trends and Insights for Africa, TIFA, Maori obtained a tiny amount of support in the survey. However, he maintains confidence he will win in the August election. Victoria Amunga for VOA News, Nairobi. That's all we prepared for you this Monday. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us this evening. Join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.